Lee Whitwell absolutely burst onto the scene when she played in Major League Pickleball. In fact, she was named the MVP of the league by the fans. This is a really interesting interview where we talk a lot about the MLP, but also about constructing a point in pickleball. It's a great instructional episode too, so let's get to the intro to hear from Lee. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I'd like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, Lee Whitwell. How are you doing today, Lee? Oh, fantastic. Living the dream. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I am very glad you could join and we'll have to get more into living the dream, I think, here in a minute. But uh, I always do like to start off with uh, your pickleball journey, how you got started and how you first heard about the game. So I I was living in San Diego at the time and I heard about pickleball and excuse me, it was something that people of my grandma's age were playing. So it wasn't anything that I wanted to be a part of and then eventually moved to Oregon. And a friend of mine asked me to play in a tournament and I thought it was tennis. So I said, yes. And then she told me it was pickleball. So I said, no, we went back and forth for about a half hour. And then she said, look, I'll buy you a case of beer. But yeah, literally a case of beer got me into pickleball. I have to admit that is the first time I have heard anybody getting into pickleball in that manner. Right. I mean, I thought, why not be unique? But it's the actual truth. Lisa Palsic, a good friend of mine, and it's all her fault. Now, how long ago was it that you... About four years ago. I think maybe Uh four and a half years ago. All right. So it's been fairly recent, but I believe you probably had a tennis background, didn't you? I did. I played tennis. I like to tell everybody I played tennis in the late 1900s and then got into, I played professionally a little bit and then got into teaching tennis, directing clubs, being a director of tennis at clubs and running resorts and whatnot. So the transition was at first easy. And then secondly, not so easy because you come to realize that for as many similarities there are between tennis and pickleball, there are twice as many differences. And it's embracing those differences and understanding that pickleball is, is its own sport in its own right. And once I stopped comparing it to tennis, then I could, then I really saw an improvement in my game because I really focused on playing pickleball, not trying to play tennis on a pickleball court. Now, I know a lot of people talk about pickleball, tennis. Yes, there's similarities. The obvious thing is that the soft game is a little bit more important in pickleball than tennis. But beyond kind of the obvious, what else would you say are some of the differences that kind of fall into that not so easy group that you were talking about? For starters, the footwork patterns in a lot of crossover steps in tennis when you're hitting the ball. And in pickleball, it's a lot easier to be able to see your opponents in front of you versus turning your back to them. And then the soft game in tennis tends to be a drop shot or an angle volley put away winner that's going to bounce three times before your opponent can run it down. In pickleball, those soft shots become your building blocks and how to set up the attacking point. So it's taking a shot that for me playing doubles, a backhand angle volley typically was a winner on the tennis court. Now is a building shot in pickleball. So it's an understanding that it's overheads aren't putaways on the pickleball court. If you've got enough space between you and your opponents, you can get those back and you can work your way back into the point 
a lot easier or than you can on a tennis court. Whereas on a tennis court, you get an overhead. There's a lot more real estate. You're running things down and it just becomes more problematic to, to chase down that ball. Whereas in pickleball, you have a lot more time than you think. And because of the smaller court, you don't want to hit passing shots because there's the gap really isn't there, even though it looks like it's there. It, the door opens and closes just as quickly. Whereas in, in tennis, the passing shots are a thing because you have a lot more room on the court to pass people. Now, it almost sounds like what you're saying about pickleball is that it's really hard in doubles to hit a winner. It's, it is it's it is hard to hit a winner. It's, it's you want to, I, I guess the way I approach it is you want to constantly try to set it up so you get the, the put away shot, but the put away shot can come back and you might hit four or five put away shots before you end up winning the point. Or you might hit four or five put away shots and then the other team resets and works themselves back in and now we're starting the point over again. So one point can go from offense to defense to offense very quickly. So it's, you really have to work the point. And just because you think you hit a good shot doesn't necessarily mean that your opponent agrees with you and they're going to get it back. Very true. Now, I have to admit, I, I did watch a little video of your game and a lot of people coming from that tennis background, certainly at your level, I mean, you can hit all the shots, but you really have very, I mean, your soft game is just really uh, amazing. And you really seem to focus on that more than really using power, at least in doubles. Yeah, it's so, and I think that's a lot of coming from my tennis game with the soft angle was my put away. And my shot in tennis, I was always the closer and on the doubles court. My, my partner knew that their job was to make me look good. Whereas now on the pickleball court, I'm using my soft game and being more of a builder and a resetter. I always feel like I'm, on, I'm like, hey, I've got your back. I'm on cleanup duty. You attack, you do your thing, and I'll keep us in the point however we need to and for how, however long we need to. But I do like to hit the ball hard and put the ball away, but I'm not. What's the word I'm looking for? Like, I, I know where I'm at in my game, and I'm not going to win a hands battle all the time with maybe Anna Lee or Michelle or Lauren. Those fast exchanges, I am a lot older than them. So, and not only that, it's that I just don't want to engage in that hand battle. It's like that just becomes survival mode. And I'd rather, okay, we speed it up and you get it back. I get it back. The next time I'm like, okay, I'm going to just reset the ball and we'll just keep going because I don't want to get, I never want to be in survival mode because to me, that's a 50-50 outcome on who's ever going to win that point. So if I try something or they try something and we counter and then it comes back, then I'm going to reset right away. I'm like, okay, done. It didn't work. Let's start over and build again and try to get to that next point again. So I do enjoy the softer part of the game and, uh, you know, and on some level too, it's got to be annoying for somebody on the other side of the court who gives the ball everything they have and you just nonchalantly reset it back. So I kind of try to use that to my advantage. It's interesting as, as you talk, and I always think it's really tough to discuss this on a podcast, but you hear so much about, especially at the level you're playing at the pro level, there is so much to actually constructing a point. Can you talk about what that really means? It's, I think a lot of it is, is just having the, the patience to work your way up. I always, I always tell when I'm teaching or I tell my students, the third shot, a lot of times we're told to get to the kitchen right away. If you pop the ball up, don't run in. If you don't get to the kitchen on the third, get there on the fifth. If you don't get there on the fifth, get to the seventh. But so long as when you get there, you've neutralized a point because up until that point, your opponents have the tactical advantage. You're further back. They have this distance. They're close. So, so they do have the advantage. And, and once you get to the, to that kitchen line effectively and neutralize the point, then it's anyone's game. 
And now you're trying to gain space and pushing them back to gain a tactical advantage so that you can open up the court and use the angles to to hopefully win the point or, or set things up and have your opponents running around like headless chickens, which is the, the best feeling in the world, honestly. So it's you can you drive the third? Can you go for for big shots? Yes. The better players that you play, you might get a passing shot once, or you might get a net clip that falls in or a miss serve or a miss return. But for the most part, a lot of it is done in in the meat and potatoes of the game, which is like really building that point and trying to expose weaknesses and get, if I can have one player going one way and the other player going the other and creating gaps on the court, then our lives become a lot easier. So it's having the patience to do that and the confidence to, to know that you can outlast and that you can wait till the right opportunity and you don't feel pressured into pulling the trigger too fast. Now, when I first started this podcast today, I, I thought I was going to go in a little bit different direction, but we got more into the instructional component sooner. I usually leave that a little bit until the end. But honestly, you came on my radar, certainly with your participation in Major League Pickleball. And I recently had Dave Fleming on the podcast talking about that. Uh, the, tell me a little bit about how the draft worked and did you know you were going to get draft? Honestly, no, I had heard about major league pickleball and I wanted to be a part of it because I thought how exciting this is a team event. This could be a great thing for pickleball and how fun would it be to play a, a strictly pro only event and with a lot of fun. And the whole concept sounded cool, unique, and just something that I just needed to be a part of. So I contacted one of the MLP who was, it was, has been involved in Major League Pickleball from the beginning, I reached out to him and he reached out to the owner who then reached out to me. And then all of a sudden I'm being flown out there for a little promo shoot and whatnot. But I had no idea how many people were in the draft, how many people were going to get picked. So, and then I refused to watch the draft because I was like, that just sounds stressful and nerve wracking. It happened at the PPA in Texas. I wasn't there. I was at home and then caught the tail end of it. And I was fortunate enough to have Kyle Yates and Anna Lee, AJ, believe in me and pick me. So I'm truly thankful. I think John Sperling was also one of the advisors for our team, one of the senior pros. And I'm thankful I got drafted and got picked because what a crazy fun weekend it turned out to be for us. Absolutely. The videos and the live coverage was just amazing. And so I think as it turned out, you were the last woman selected and the oldest person who was was in the draft. Is that right? I was the second to last. I was number 15th women's pick. So technically last but one. But yes, definitely the oldest woman in the league by by quite a bit. And yeah, that's <laughs> social media blasted us. They said our team was the worst team ever. And Kyle Yates and I were the worst picks ever. And they mentioned other players who should have been drafted over us. So I think we had a little bit of that behind us, fueling the fire going, you know what? We're going to prove these guys wrong. Wow. Did it ever work? Because uh, you finished in second, correct? Yes. we Unfortunately, we missed going to the singles tiebreak playoff by one point. It was that close of a match. And uh, it's we fought hard, we played hard, and we came up a little short. But at the end of the day, I feel like we we won and we we came together as a team. And, and what we were able to accomplish when a lot of people had written us off was was absolutely phenomenal. The singles tiebreak footage that I saw of you was 
some of the most amazing play I, I think I've seen. And just so the audience knows, because they may not hear have heard the the podcast that I do with Dave Fleming, talk about how the tie break worked for, with the singles. So everyone had to play two doubles because there was four people on a team, two females, two males. So it was uh, one ladies doubles, one men's doubles, and then two mixed doubles. So when you win the toss, you got to pick side seed, side receive or serve or defer but not only that and that set the tone so if you pick serve so you served for the women's doubles men's doubles mixed doubles everything you that you you only did the toss once but when you won the toss you had the option of of choosing did you want to present your mixed lineup first which meant your opponents presented their singles lineup first or did you want to present your singles lineup first and have your opponents present their mixed lineup first so you, your singles lineup was based on if you picked, if you wanted to see, if if we wanted to see their singles, we had to give them our mixed lineup first. And then if it went to a tie break, they presented their singles lineup and we could base our lineup on theirs and vice versa. So it was technically a 50-50 coin toss as far as is it going to go to a tiebreaker? Do we want to try to get all four matches or, you know, Three out of the three out of the four matches in that win before going to a tiebreak, or are we banking on going to the singles? So we went to the singles a little bit more than I would have liked, honestly, just because I find singles extremely stressful. But it kind of all came together and worked out anyway. And then I guess the way it works is when you do the singles tiebreak, there are situations where you've got a male player against a female player for a couple points. Correct. So, for example, when we played Team Clean, there they put Deckel first in their lineup, and I told the team, "I'm like, let's just make me the sacrificial lamb. I'll see if I can get one point. So at least we're three one down, not four zero down, because our other three guys on our team, like De- AJ, Kyle, and Annalie, all have way more singles experience than I do. So I have way more faith in their ability to win points versus. And then each person plays four points. So Declan and I played four points and then the next two people play four points and the next two people play four points and the next two play four points. And then if we're still not at 15, we start that over again. And then I had to play Declan again and so on and so forth. And so after the first round with Declan, what was the score? I think we were two. I think so too. And you had just some amazing passing shots. Cause we talked earlier in the podcast about how difficult it is to, to pass in doubles. Now, when you've got a female player against a male player in singles, did you feel like that was a daunting pass trying to get something by him? Especially Deckel, who's like got the wingspan. He's like, he can straddle that center line and probably reach both sides of the court because the guy is so intimidating on the court and just such a big presence. But the one thing I had in my back pocket was for the most part, I'm known for my soft game. So I didn't, I I think I was able to catch some of them by surprise by smacking the ball sometimes because they'd never see me. And I was, I refused to come to the net. I was like, I'm not coming to the net unless I'm absolutely brought in because I wanted them to come to the net first so that I could try to pass them with a little bit more room than being the target and having them pass me. Good point. Now, do you think there was more pressure on the ladies or the men in that type of format? I think that the pressure was definitely on the guys when the guys were playing the girls in that lineup because paper, they should win, they should overpower. And I definitely think that was 
anytime the girl was going to pass the guy or get close to points against the guy, the crowd was going to go wild. They were going to cheer a lot harder for me passing Deckel than they were going to cheer for Deckel passing me. That's pressure in itself. Even though he might have hit a phenomenal shot. It, on paper, he's supposed to hit that shot against me. So I think that a lot of that played into it. Very true. And you were so amazing on the court in both your singles and, and doubles play. You actually were the MVP of the league. It was a, that was a surprise and a, and a complete privilege and honor to get that award. I didn't expect it. I, I didn't go in there with any intention of trying to be the MVP. I didn't know they had an MVP award. I just wanted to go in there, have fun, engage the crowd and play really good pickleball and hopefully be able to sustain it day in and day out because the wins were a huge high. And then it's, oh, we got to wake up tomorrow and do it again. Or then you have to the morning match, you're like, oh, we have another match this afternoon. So it was being able to sustain that level of energy. And I thought our team did a phenomenal job of, of coming together and, and really doing a great job in supporting each other. I mean, anytime in singles that I hit a good shot, I could hear, especially Kyle and, and AJ just screaming at the top of their lungs and then looking over and then Anna Lee jumping up and down. Unfortunately, AJ and Kyle's voice overpowered hers, but they were all screaming up and down. It's like every, I just wanted to go over there and high five them and celebrate because it wasn't about me. It was about the team and I was doing this for them. And it was just so much fun and such a high. And to be able to be, to be named MVP of the inaugural event was such an honor and something that I'm flattered and, and proud of. And then it looks like you and Anna Lee as a doubles team also meshed quite well. Now, was that because Anna Lee is used to playing with somebody named Lee in doubles? Yeah, we did joke that for this event, she was trading her mom in for an older model. But uh, no, I think it was two things. One, Annalie plays the left side of the court very well. And I like to play the right side of the court being left-handed. We're going to have our, our, our forehands in the middle. And I think our styles complemented each other. I wanted her to run the show. I was going to give her as much space and leeway as she wanted. And I just try to try my best to set her up and put her in a position to, to do what she does best. And that is just crank the ball and and hit phenomenal shots. So, and, and personality wise, Annalie and I really hadn't spent a lot of time together before that, but we, she gets my humor and that's always a good thing. Cause sometimes I'll say the most inappropriate things on the court and she's like, wait, what? And she start laughing. And it was just good to, that we were able to have fun, play at a high level of pickleball and actually our styles mesh really well. So some first for an outsider, the comment was, oh, it looks like you guys have been playing together forever. And it's like, no, we just kind of stepped on the court this morning for the first time. Now, have things changed for you since that experience? I'm not looking forward to playing another tournament because it's going to be quite so boring and not a lot of crowds there. No, it's I mean, it's funny to to see online people commenting and, and sharing my videos and my highlight reel. And it's, I get embarrassed by it. It's very flattering. But being named the Dragon Slayer of the kitchen, I think, named me the Dragon Slayer on one of them. And it's I mean, the attention is nice. It's it's not me, I, but I'm definitely enjoying it. And I'm just looking forward to now being able to, to sustain that level of competition in, in my next tournaments and, and see if I can keep playing at that level. And so what do you have coming up for the remainder of 2021 and 2022 early on? So I think December, I've got first week in December, I'm playing the APP in Mesa, and then I'm playing the APP in Punta Gorda, the world in Florida, that second weekend, and then I'm done for the year. And then it's, uh, I think that second weekend in January is the Mesa. And there's a bunch of other tournaments that I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I know that first quarter is pretty packed. 
And but I mean, I'd be lying if I say I wasn't looking forward to the next major league. So that's coming up next year. So I'm excited for that because by far that was a such a fun format. And honestly, if you were in the stands on Monday night, the energy inside that stadium was electric. It was so fun to see the crowd get involved. And it felt that from a player standpoint, it was amazing. The fans inside loved it. And online people were, were just commenting on how much they loved it. And it just felt that pickleball has arrived in that spectator sport arena. And I think Steve Kuhn and the staff at MLP did a great job. Dream, they transformed Dreamland into a phenomenal place and it just worked. And it's, I think everyone's looking forward to another event like that. I know I am. And hopefully next time I can attend in person. But anyways, Lee, I wanted to just finish up with a couple questions. I always do like to ask, uh, which pickleball paddle do you use and why do you like it? So I'm using a paddle. It's a new paddle by a new company called Harrow. Harrow Sports, they're out of college. I love their paddle. It's a 60 millimeter, so it's a softer paddle. Gives me a little bit more controls, which allows me to help. It helps me with those resets quite. It's a longer handle paddle. I don't have a two-handed back end except when you're wailing the ball at me and I want to control it. So I'll put my second hand on it. But no, I do love the paddle. It, it's, it makes me look good. So anything that's going to help make me look good, I'm going to endorse. <laughs> and you said, was that Tarot or Harrow? Harrow, H-A-R-O-W. Okay, perfect. Now, I know you're really busy playing tournaments and I think you probably also do some teaching because I'm I'm just thinking that you know, people might want to get a hold of you and have, have a lesson or two if you're doing clinics around the country. What's the best way to reach out? So the best way to reach out is uh, my email. It's leewhitwellpickleball at gmail.com. It's quite simple. I, I am getting a lot of requests to do more camps outside of, I do live in the villages in Florida and I teach at a, at a club close by. So yeah, I'm definitely working on my camping clinic schedule for next year. And I need to finalize that because the tournament schedule is kind of hectic. So I'm trying to figure out when I can fit everything because I do enjoy teaching. I enjoy, you know, making people laugh and having fun on the court and anything I can do to help grow the sport of pickleball is, is a win-win for, for everyone. All right. It has been great to have you on the podcast. I've been uh, smiling much of the time because uh, you are very funny, which I noticed (laughs) in the pre-interview, but I try not to laugh into the mic, but anyways, thank you so much Lee for being on today. It was uh, great to hear about Major League Pickleball, and thank you for some wonderful instructional tips. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been, a, it's been an honor. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes.